Hey everyone, this is Lynn Bartim, and you are listening to the Apex Hour on KSUU Thunder 91.1. In this show, you get more personal time with the guests who visit Southern Utah University from all over, learning more about their stories and opinions beyond their presentations on stage. We will also give you some new music to listen to and hope to turn you on to some new sounds and new genres. You can find us here every Thursday at 3 p.m. or on the web at seu.edu slash apex. But for now, welcome to this week's show here on Thunder 91.1. All right, everyone. Well, here we are. It is the Apex Hour. And let me just tell you, this has been such an amazing day. And I feel so honored to be talking to my guest today. But let's just welcome him in to start. Welcome, Donovan. Hey, what's up, family? It's so good to be kicking it with you once again. Thank you for setting the stage and making me feel so welcome, Lynn. I really appreciate that. Well, it is a pleasure. Let me tell our audience a little bit about you. So we have with us Donovan Livingston, who's an educator, spoken word poet, public speaker, and let me just say, super inspiring. Um, you probably have heard of him from this Harvard graduation speech um, that he did called Liftoff in 2016, which absolutely went completely viral and is so absolutely inspiration, uh, inspirational. Hillary Clinton praised him. It's young graduates like Donovan who make it clear that America's best days are still ahead. Since then, he's been on talk shows. He's been all over the world. And we get to talk to him here on the Apex Hour. So Donovan, you spoke today uh, for Apex, and it was absolutely um, so powerful. And I have so many questions about it. Um, and, and basically, I'd love for you to just give maybe our audience a little bit of a snapshot of what you talked about today, kind of your story and, and also where it's led you as an educator. Yeah. So again, thanks so much, Lynn, for having me. Happy to be here on the Apex Hour. Um, uh, and and to, to your question uh, about this afternoon, uh, you know, we kind of spoke at kind of spoke at length uh, about this concept of inspiring galaxies of greatness, which was a line that was taken from uh, the liftoff uh, poem, uh, but really expounded on that to say, um, how do we inspire galaxies of greatness or, or rocket toward uh, remixes for higher education? I use the term remix um, intentionally as a hip hop artist. Um, you know, hip hop is all about taking something old and making it new. I don't know many other institutions that are as antiquated and slow moving as colleges and universities. So remix for me sort of indicated a sense of urgency, the idea that we are responding to issues and action, be it in the pandemic, be it in response to some of these racialized incidences that have taken place across campuses, or across uh, uh, cities, across the country. And I really, it's just, I, I was excited to be in a space where I could talk more specifically about how faculty and staff at colleges and universities and students can sort of co-create spaces for hope to happen, right? To, to co-create moments of reckoning, to um, find ways to reconsider um, how we define success as institutions of, of higher education. Really, um, what I wanted folks to take away from that um, talk this afternoon um, was, um, you know, revisiting what is the purpose of a college degree? Um, I, you know, you, you asked me to explain a little bit about my background, and I'm happy to do that. So I come into this work as um, a, a college counselor, college advisor. Um, that was my bread and butter for like the first 10 years of my career as an educator. I was working with first gen, 
uh, low income, historically underrepresented, indigenous, you know, undocumented uh, students and their families, helping them navigate the path from high school to college. And throughout all of those experiences and all those relationships, you know, some of the consistent things that I've seen um, from those populations is, you know, it's sort of like this perfunctory, this idea that I am supposed to go to college after high school. And, you know, for, for most of those students, for most of all students, that that is the case. But colleges have become more accessible. But because of that accessibility, um, colleges now have an increased responsibility to take care of and shepherd and nurture um, this increasingly diverse student population uh, when those uh, students arrive to campus. That and so is- my, my career has sort of been built around that idea of how can we take... Um, these old institutions that weren't historically designed to dis- to to serve this marginalized group, and how can we um, create moments um, uh, for for them to realize the fullness their potential in college experience? We were just so happy to engage in this conversation because, um, thankfully, I think that um, our our institution is is really committed to exploring this. I, I think I mentioned to you that we're really looking at attainment gaps. We're looking at, you know, uh, accessibility. We're looking at um, really all the things that you were discussing. And so it's just so great to get that inspiration and to move forward in that way. And I wondered if we could talk a little bit about how uh, the the powerful message that you have about how we can move forward and and the role of the student and also the role of the faculty member in it. Um, One of the things uh, as the faculty member, you were giving just some great um, cornerstones, your five C's, as you called them, to that we could use to sort of um, like not regulate our conversations, but at least like frame all of our conversations and all of our programming. Um, Is that the best way forward, do you think, to for the average university like us in Southern Utah to start really making positive change? Yeah, thank you for that uh, question, Lynn. I appreciate you um, highlighting the C's, the five C's, you know, essentially are sort of like a guideline. So when 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 I think about the best way forward, right, it's it's one of many steps that can be taken. But it's a step that faculty on an individual level can implement in their own pedagogical practices that make students feel um, seen, valued, and respected in how they're retaining and applying the information that they're learning um, in their classes. And so those five C's were um, creativity, curiosity, connectivity, collaboration, and consciousness. I think. When those five things are sort of in concert or, you know, faculty in their classes, in their their fiefdoms, right, their domain that they lord over, right, when when faculty prioritize those things, that the love of curiosity, the, the, the fire uh, to create something new, the willingness of a student to connect what they're learning um, from class to other facets of their life, um, uh, their, their, their desire to collaborate with others and moreover, uh, noticing how students are developing a sense of self and social consciousness. I think when all of those things are in concert, you created a space where students realize that I'm going to be assessed not for the grade I get on an, on an assignment or how I perform on a test, but they will be be assessing how well they live out the things that they learn. And I think that although it's not maybe not the the the, the best you know, overarching, you know, bird's eye view sort of way forward. I do think it is a a logical first step to reimagining the space that you have control over as a faculty member or staff member or whatever uh, department you, you call home. Can I, can I ask you maybe a a difficult question that, that, that I certainly, I, I mean, to be honest, have struggled with. And, and that is that, 
you know, when you when you start tacking on the years of teaching, you know, over time and and you have many just such wonderful moments, wonderful students, inspirational times. Um, but you also can get burned, you know, um, and, and can get fatigued, um, from some of the other, uh, students that you have who, who, who maybe aren't, um, holding up their end to reaching to the stars, you know, and, 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 Maybe you get burned by that. How do you, how, what advice do you have for, for that? Cause sometimes I think we get, a, we, we want this so bad, but, but we feel a little, um, maybe, maybe worn out in a way too. What, what advice do you have for that? Well, just know I showed up for the hard questions. So I appreciate you for, for throwing those out. Um, you know, now don't, I'm not an OG. I ain't been in the classroom before, you know, so long. But, um, you know, when working with, uh, particular students that, as you, as you put it, might not be holding up their end of the bargain. You might not see the level of effort that you might be getting in comparison to other students in the course, or you know this student isn't bringing their full self into the space. Uh, one thing, I know burnout is real, you know, especially when you've been doing it for a long time. Uh, th- those uh, That stress, and maybe not a negative sense of stress, but you stress, right? That positive type of stress, that, that might accumulate over time and, and start to weigh on you, weigh on your heart. Um, the first and most important thing to do is not take it personally when, um, I think my phone is about to ring in a second. I apologize. Again. Um, I don't know why people want to blow me up when I'm, when I'm, when I'm talking with y'all, man, but it's all good. It might be one of my students who knows, uh, but I, digress. <laughs> I think, um, one of the most important things to do though, as a faculty member to avoid that sort of burnout is to take a step back and not take what the student is giving you or not giving you personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to be offended when someone wasn't you know, engaged in the things that I took the time to create that I poured my heart into. Um, I used to, you know, was younger, like get offended by that. And, you know, that, that sort of, you don't want to be in that space because that could then color your relationship with that student. Um, But once you uh, remove that, 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 that ego, that sense of self uh, from that um, student who might not be giving you what you're asking, giving what you're asking of them, reach out to them. Uh, one thing that I've, I've tried to be more um, intentional about this year and this semester in particular is reaching out to students one-on-one who might not be as engaged. I understand I am an extrovert. I am a gregarious, like I talk with my arms. We might be on Zoom, but I, I try to create a space where people feel like they're sitting right next to me, right? And everybody don't get down like that, bro. Like I, I get that. And so for my students who may be a bit more reserved or aren't as comfortable participating um, in class, I always try to follow up, you know, after a couple of weeks, get a sense of how they show up in the space. I always follow up with, you know, are you getting what you came for? Are you getting what you need out of this experience? What can I do to adapt to your needs? And I give them options for how they want to participate. I think that's the, the caveat, right? So don't take it personal. Reach out one-on-one. Give them options for participating. Um, if you realize what they're if you realize that it's not something personal or something related to their mental health that's keeping them from participating and, you know, you know, obviously refer out if that is what you need to do. If you realize it's not any of those things, um, you know, give them options, right? Like don't penalize them for not participating in those traditional ways. We, we imagine students showing up in class, raising their hand, leading a discussion, that sort of thing. Uh, one thing I try to do in my hip hop and higher ed class is uh, give my students options for how they want to participate. So if there's a, documentary for instance the um 
uh, college admission scandal. Uh, there's a that that took that came out last year and has been all over the news and that sort of thing. Um, Netflix just released a documentary about the college admission scandal. Um, we have a unit in my course where we focus on the college admission scandal. Obviously, again, through the prism of hip hop, we break it down through lyricism and explain what's going on and, and who does this exclude, who is harmed by this, um, who is complicit, like that sort of thing. Um, but when I saw there was a documentary, I gave my students um, a chance to gain extra participation points by watching the documentary, writing a paragraph about how they felt about the film and how it connects to what we're learning. You know, And for my students who don't speak up as much in class, this is a way for them to have their voice heard and entered into the space. I, I always look for ways to, to enter those marginalized voices into the chat. So yeah. that's, that's always what, what my goal is. And I think that's one way, although it's work on our end, I think it's a creative way of engaging those students we might be concerned about throughout the course of the semester. I love it. Thank you. Well, sure. I have tons more questions, but we have... I just, I, I, when the spirit moves, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I mean, I thought we were going to play music right away and then we just got right into it, which That's is great. Good. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but one of the things that we wanted to do was we, we've been sharing a bit about music. Um, I may have mentioned that I teach music here. That's my home area. And um, on the show, I told you that we like to play music sometimes. And of course, I want to know like, you know, what's going on with you musically? You're involved in the music world and also who is inspiring you. And so you picked out a few songs and I definitely want to try to get to them. So the first one is yours. And so I wondered, can you give us a little background on molasses? For sure. Yeah, most definitely. Thank you for that. Um, you know, my wife was the one who was like, if you don't go on that radio show and promote your own stuff, bro, what kind of rapper would I be if I didn't plug my own, you know what I'm saying, my own mixtape, my own work. So molasses is an album that was written, um, throughout the, the the last year, year and a half of my um, doctoral program. Um, so throughout my, my process, I would spend time doing research and writing, obviously, but as a form of self-care to just step away, I was writing writing this album. Um, wow. And essentially, yeah, so essentially this, um, the, the, the concept behind molasses is this idea of um, understanding the history of, of growing in the South. Um, there's a lot of texts that focus on that. And I think, uh, especially last year, um, in the wake of the murders of Breonna, Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd, um, it created a new, a new moment to have an old conversation. Yeah. And so um, it just seemed like the right time to release that body of work. But anyway, the, the concept of molasses is, um, you know, thinking about growing up Black in the South, uh, it's, a, it's a thick, contentious, um, heavy sort of um, sticky history to wrestle with. But at the end of the day, it's still incredibly sweet to be who we are. And Molasses brings all of those things to the fore. And I think the song you're going to play is the title track from the album um, that gets at uh, some of the familial reasons why it was important to share this story, because I represent more than just who you see here. I represent everybody who poured into me. So I'm ready when you are. Thank you so much for sharing that. Well, as Donovan said, this is Molasses, the title track from the album Molasses by Donovan Livingston. You're listening to KSUU Thunder 91.1.
One, time for your mind. Two, times for your spirit. <laughs> yeah, let's make it three times for the lyrics. Yeah. Much love to the record as it spins going it rip. Every time a DJ drops a needle in a divot, I hit the booth and I mix it like a chemist, you know. Metacognition, metaphor, metaphysics. Looking for the truth every time that I spit it. Divide to make it say it's all good when it isn't in the kitchen as I'm cooking up another dream. In my mind, I can hear my grandmother sing. To the tune of an aim melodic up and ding Probably sweet potato pie or some other thing Now I don't need a recipe when I can see my destiny Especially since this whole life will be the death of me Regrettably setting the table for the last time You know, I stole them biscuits like a pastime As I atone for all my past crimes Yo, I know the moment's over for these sad rhymes I chose joy, for sure, even as a little boy Come on, running around the field, still shy as Illinois Looking at the game and seeing voice, that's word to Audrey Lord. I know that anger used does not destroy. The hate, I rise above it and rejoice. Granny said, use your voice. You know you gotta make a joyful noise. Work like Booker T when you thinking like Du Bois. Don't be coy, especially when someone's in strife. You better be about your business when it's no one in sight. And boy, say it with your chest when you holding the mic. And talk about the other side like you know what it's like. But I don't. I know you hovered over in flight. Heaven's newest angel. See my blackness is light. Yeah. <laughs> Biscuits and molasses, eyes closed when I bite. Yeah, I try to tell her we was magic. magic. Grab another biscuit from the, basket, from the basket, pass it, and dip it in a little molasses. molasses. Dab it, thick and bittersweet like, like my, my black is. Yeah, I try to tell her we was magic. magic. Grab another biscuit from the basket, from the basket. pass it. And dip it in a little molasses. molasses Dab it, thick and bittersweet like my black like is my black yeah. When I feel like I can't go on I hear you telling me to be strong And in my mind I see you on your knees Asking God to cover me I'm here, I'm here Because your voice that found God's ears I hope you're proud of me Memories that were magic I wish that we could rehash it Love so sweet still covers me Like molasses I know you're up there resting And rest is a blessing But I miss you, I miss you Hope you're proud of me I try to tell Memories them we magic. that were magic Grab another I biscuit from the basket Pass it, it. All right. Well, welcome back, everyone. Uh, you're listening to KSUU Thunder 91.1. That song was Molasses, the title track from the album Molasses by our guest who's in the studio. And that's Donovan Livingston. Welcome back, Donovan. So real quick, I want to shout out my homegirl, Janae Parsons, who sung her heart out on that song. She is amazing. Huge family. Like she's she, that's that's family right there. We met in college. She supported me and my music. And, and I've tried to do the same ever since. But 
that was not possible. She sung that song to life. So just want to thank you to Janae. Oh, incredible, incredible voice. Yeah, thank you so much for pointing that out. Um, tell me a little bit about your musical process, um, you know, and the kinds of things that you're involved with now. And, and yeah, a little more about your musical life. Yeah, so my musical life has been really uh, tough to sort of navigate. Yes, now that I'm a new parent and, you know, COVID is, is, is real and going to the studio isn't as much option as, as it used to be for both of those reasons. And, and I've tried to find new ways to sort of like tap into that part of myself. So I do this thing on my Instagram um, account, DLive87, in case you want to follow. Um, I do follow back. Um, but on my Instagram account, I do this uh, bi-weekly. Uh, it used to be more frequent, uh, but once the semester started, it wasn't. But um, it's called Thursday Verse Day, where I just take some time to write 16 bars about something that's going on in the world and community. Sometimes um, I do a poll and ask people like, give me a word and I'll incorporate it in the verse next week. Like, it's just really a way for me to stay sharp and active and committed to the craft. But I'm always, always, always um, coaching uh, young artists, young who are looking to, to, to refine their craft. Um, uh, I, I don't have another album in the works per se, but I always have a song in my heart. So wow. it's just a matter the right music, right producers, um, in the right so time. When you do the, like, let's say the weekly verses, it's, it's, it's always spoken word to music or sometimes is it just spoken word or it's always has a musical component of being 16 bars of, of music. Yeah. For the most part, it's always 16 bars of music. So I'm always rapping on Thursday, birthday. Now I have done some like acapella, like more spoken word esque type things, but for the most part I am rapping on Thursdays. And I think for me, that's, that's intentional, right? Because um, in a lot of ways within the academy, spoken word might be a bit more palatable to a wider audience. And I, I want to make sure that as I do embark on new spaces and territories and carve out new niches for um, hip hop educators, um, I want to make sure that I, I hold true like, hey, yeah, I do spoken word, but I also rap too. And here's why. Um, and here's why it matters in this space. Well, one of the things about your talk that was um, just so wonderful today was that you you broke down the culture of hip hop and um, and sort of your iconic um, uh, the 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 iconic messaging for the culture for you and that being peace, love, unity, and fun, which is awesome. And I just wanted to you know acknowledge you know how incredible that many of the quotes that you associated with each of those, but the one that, that particularly resonated, resonated with me right now was the Martin Luther King joke that you, the, the quote that you said about peace is not the absence of tension, but the presence of justice. And I wondered if you could just elaborate a little bit more on, um, on that being the touchstone as of your concept of peace, um, and, and how we can use it because there's just so many ways to use it now. Sure. Most definitely. Yo, thank you for, for, for teasing that quote out. I think, um, you know, Martin Luther King always, he's, he's always good for a quotable, right. But I think that one in particular, um, is, is unique because he's often, his image, his, um, legacy is often misappropriated and co-opted. Uh, a, a lot of times you see folks who would have in the 1950s and 60s been lambasting Martin Luther King, you know, quoting him on MLK Day and that sort of thing. Like, it's just, it's this, it creates this cognitive dissonance. Like, you know, that's not what he meant when he said that, right? Um, but I, I said that to say um, this, this quote on peace is really important. 
we often use the term just as a flippant sort of mechanism to, to move beyond something that might feel uncomfortable. Um, and what King is saying here is that you can't dodge or avoid that ability just because. Oh, I think maybe Donovan just froze. Let's see, Donovan, maybe try turning off your video if you can. Oh, well, while I work this out with him, I'm going to get a song going. Um, one of the other songs that Donovan chose to play was uh, a song called High Rises uh, by Chica, a C-H-I-K-A. Um, and uh, let's get you that song so we can figure out our little technical thing. Um, so this is High Rises. Uh, you're listening to KSUU Thunder 91.1. Girl in the mouth, little black girl don't know where to go. Cause she like the clown and the teachers stay kicking her out. Insecure, but she won't say it out loud. All she wanna do is make her mama proud. She wanna be like them other girls, they in another world. She just can't figure them out. Round face, thick thighs, full waist, bright eyes. She wonders if they'll judge her for her size. She doesn't compromise. She's seen this world before. This child is wise, never busy, but her mind is occupied. She used to dream of high rises. But life is full of surprises. Talent comes in second place, the perfect timing. Used to swear that I was ready, but back then I wasn't rhyming. Funny, hunger came from staying in my dorm and eating ramen. College had me stressing. College had me stressing. So Father, grant me blessings. Path I'm on is lonely, so right now just help me feel your presence. Give me royal bars with the humility of mortal peasants. Pray that every elder stand for lesson. Call me Lauren as I stand on this hill. I begin to survey the field. I wonder just how far I'll get without a deal. Cause anything I say is real in any line. I spit is facts in any dream I have is valid. So I'm never going back. Listen to that voice inside. That is where the choice resides. You write the future, you know where it lies. I perceive judgment as anger's disguise. Taking a risk will always yield a prize. People will tell us to follow our heart and then look at us crazy when we live our lives. My mom, this one's for dad. All the support is that I ever had. It's for the principal of my high school who said I would be nothing. But look where I'm at. Won't stop till I ain't got to look at the text. When we go out to eat and I pick up the tab. Took a leap on my dream. Now it's all I can see. I'm enjoying the scene and I'm not looking back.
let's fucking not thank you so much. All right. Well, we are back and we have Donovan back. So everything is back to normal. Um, you're listening to the Apex Hour, KSU Thunder 91.1. That song was High Rises by Chica. And before I asked Donovan why he chose that song to play, First of all, I love it. Oh my God. It's just like, Tiger, right? <sighs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Love her work, yo. Oh, it's just like feel good, you know? I just uh, just like puts me in a good place. But mm-hmm. for those of you who might be interested in the music, as you know, um, we have a played on Apex Hour Spotify playlist. It's an open playlist on Spotify that was created by me. And so you can just search Lynn Vartan on Spotify and it's called Played on Apex Hour. Or you can find it on our website, which is scu.edu slash apex and go to the podcast tab and the Spotify playlist will be linked there. So welcome back, Donovan Livingston. What's up? Okay. Sorry, I'm thought unfroze. I'm ready to rock. Let's get it. All right. <laughs> I want to know why you chose that song. I mean, apart from it just being like sweet uh, and, you know, but why that song for this uh, talk today? It's so soulful, man. There's, there's just, I mean, there's a, a several reasons, but I think the most important ones are uh, she speaks speaking to sort of a, a, a coming of age, uh, a sense of self awareness that is happening at a time where she's, you know, in high school slash college, and you know, she's wrestling with all these ideas of about fitting in, about um, what it means to be a black girl from the south uh, as the father of a new you know a southern black girl like she's also wrestling with ideas about beauty and whether or not she'll be accepted in a world that wasn't fit or designed for her and i just i just i mean for me that song falls differently on my heart today than it did the first time i heard it and and, and i mean that in a way where i get something new from it every time um, i also highlighted that because as a heterosexual cisgendered black man a lot of times when we think about hip hop and rap, I am who comes to mind. Maybe not me specifically, right? But you know, hip hop is dominated by um, you know this culture of sort of, in, in a lot of ways, toxic masculinity or hyper masculinity. And I wanted to, anytime I have a chance or a stage or a platform to speak my mind about hip hop, I always want to insert the voices of Black and Brown women. They too are responsible for this culture, this movement, and it would be irresponsible of me to be gifted a stage and not use my space to elevate them. And Chica is a phenomenal artist. She don't need my help, but <laughs> if I got the space, I want to do that. She was nominated for a Grammy. I can't remember which category, obviously hip hop, but I don't know if it's best new artist or something like that, but she was nominated for a Grammy and deservedly so, and just wanted to give her some time to shine. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for, you know, looking to women in that way and spotlighting women in that way. Um, I do have another question for you about that. But I want to make sure to close the loop on what we were talking about, which is that wonderful uh, quote, and also the concept of, uh, of the more complex concept of peace, and that peace is not the absence of tension, you know, something else. And so I'd love to just give you the opportunity to to finish what you were talking about with that. Sure. Yeah, you know, very briefly, you know, all Dr. King was saying, are often misappropriated and misused, right, over and have been over time. Uh, essentially, what he's saying here is that peace is not an avoidance of conflict, an avoidance of that which makes you uncomfortable or that which you avoid for the sake of maintaining civility. Peace is leaning into that thing 
and makes you feel tense, afraid, uh, because it might unearth a truth that you don't want to explore. I think um, a, lot, a lot of times we use the word peace or be kind and love incorrectly. And I think what Dr. King is compelling us to do is reimagine um, what peacefulness means by saying is accountability. Peace is having a hard conversation. Peace is changing policy to serve the people who are most negatively impacted by the way things are. Um, peace is not something you just wake up and exude. Peace is something you work for. And I think that's what he's getting at here with that quote. I love that. Thank you so much. Uh, I 100% agree. And I, it sort of segues nicely into uh, sort of what I wanted to get into a little bit next, which is um, you mentioned, you said the word civility. And, um, you know, as we look to this concept of peace and this um, different definition of peace, which I 100% agree with, you know, how, how do we have those conversations? Um, uh, and uh, in the context of the world today where it seems harder and harder. I, I know I, I see several people, you know, speak, speaking up and that that's amazing. And I also see several people more afraid to speak up. And I, I wondered, you know, and that that's going to maybe lead us to um, the next thing I want to talk about, which is I know you've spoken quite a bit about anti-racist teaching. And so maybe we can sort of open that up a bit. Yeah, a lot of times, you know, people don't want to ruffle feathers. Some people do, right? And some people enjoy that. And that's their whole MO, like shock value goes a long way. And I, I think we live in an era where, uh, a post-truth era, right? Where people can say the most outlandish things, purport the most um, inane conspiracy theories, and people, you know, uh, uh, believe it. And it's really tough to have a difficult conversation with someone who has a different political ideology or stance than you, because inherently you believe that political identity is tied to your own dehumanization in some way, right? No matter what side of the argument you might be on. And that's really tough. And I'm, you know, it's no, no, it's no, it's no mystery what side of, you know, what ideology I espouse, right? But I think what, what I try to do, um, at least in my classroom and in my, you know, dealings in the community is to try to create a space around me that is welcoming of all ideas. But also I do draw a line in the sand to say, this is a line you will not cross because that's when we, where we get into the disenfranchisement, the dehumanization, um, the undermining of another's humanity, right to exist, their right to be. And uh, that's where I, I, that's a non-negotiable for me, for sure. Mm -hmm. And so now going into that next topic about, you know, anti-racist teaching, um, uh, can you uh, talk about what that means to you and, and, what, and how you'd like to see that uh, on a broader scale in education? Yeah, so I was in an amazing, uh, we call them PLCs, professional learning communities mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. uh, at Wake Forest. Um, oh my gosh, they just changed the name of the, the, the center, our center for teaching. Um, it's basically a, a clearinghouse in, for faculty teaching resources. Anyway, they sponsored like this, you know, six week series over the summer uh, where, where professors can opt into um, uh, some, some discipline and myself and you know, several other faculty opted into the anti-racist like teaching group. And I'm so excited because anti-racism is, is it's a word that frightens a lot of people. The word racism frightens a lot of people. Right. But I think, again, it, it going back to King's quote, your, 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 your willingness to create a peaceful environment starts with you being willing to name 
the injustice that might exist within your learning space. Right. And so I was like, I'm not running from this. At, you know, I, I'm one of a few black men who have a teaching role, you know, on campus. I may be the only black professor a student has in their entire time at this university. And so while you're here, you're going to get this work. But you also going to know, like, I want you to leave with the language of social justice. Right. And so. Yeah. Me, I think anti-racism is a framework that allows you to have the difficult conversation. It names the uh, sort of it, it names and calls out the elephants in the room um, that people bring with them the the preconceived notions about race, the preconceived notions about difference, and um, it makes it primes the environment for change to happen. Uh, one way I, I do that, um, I have a I write an anti-racism statement every semester um, that reaffirms my commitment to um, creating an anti-racist teaching environment. So I, I say I'm going to, uh, I'm willing to call myself out and I expect you to call me out if I make a mistake or misrepresent a community in this class, beat around race, um, gender, sexuality, whatever the case may be, I want you to hold me accountable. And I think that's important as the person in power in a, in a teaching environment to be able to say, I'm gonna make, make mistakes, please call me out on that so I can learn from it, um, not to put the onus on the students, but to know we're mutually engaged in this process. Um, but there's there's several bullet points, happy to share with share them with you um, along with my slides from today. But um, I just go down this laundry list of things that I'm gonna hold myself accountable to as it relates to race in my class. And then um, I have a list of expectations from the students as well. We sign an exchange and we go forward. Uh, but I also have a list of non-negotiables um, around certain language words and you know, I did a call and response today, words words matter, language is power. And I wanna make sure that students, as they're using words, they use them with intention, not just as catch-alls for um, the ills of the world, so. And is that something you'd like to see at the broader level? I mean, do you think that's a great step? Is that, is is if every, let's say, every professor had such a contractual commitment in that way? I mean, what do you think about that? Yes, I think uh, that contractual is the perfect word, right? Because it implies that there's a responsibility on both sides. I'm going to live up to the expectations that I've written. And you as the signee um, have to hold yourself true to these things too. And when we're in violation of that, um, having a structure to work that out is really important too. My um, One of my professors in grad school had like this uh, had ouch statements, right? I don't know if you're, you're familiar or have seen that done in class, but basically it's when a classmate says something that might be offensive, although in good intentions, uh, might be interpreted as offensive. Another student in class can say ouch, and then you have a conversation about why. There's, there's debates about how that can work or it doesn't work, or it puts the, a burden on the oppressed person to like speak up as to why. Right. But if you do the, the work in the beginning, right, that work, pre-work leading up to um, when an incident occurs, you'll have a structure in place to know how to navigate navigate that conversation. So the offense doesn't have to be verbalizing to another person why their humanity matters in, in the learning space. Right. Got it. Thank you for that. Um, mm -hmm. That kind of leads me to, you know, this year as a, as a entity. And I was just curious, you know, how um, I, this year, of course, we've seen in, in some ways great strides in our social justice conversations and things like that. But the thing I'd like to ask you about is, um, you know, 
the, the COVID, how has the pandemic affected you? How has it affected your, your work, your students? And, and then where do you think we go from here? What do you hope coming out of it? Yeah, that's a great question, Lynn. Um, the pandemic's had a, a detrimental impact on my students. And I see that in a number of ways, but namely, like, we'll get to the midpoint of the semester and it's just like, you know, I know when people didn't read or like do the, you know, do the thing, listen to the album I want you to listen. I know when that happens, right? Don't think I don't because I do, but I don't get mad. I don't trip about that, right? Like, I know this ain't the only class you're taking. I know you got other assignments. I know you're dealing with stuff back home. I know your cousin back at home just got caught. Like, I know there are very serious uh, circumstances that you all are bringing with you. We all come into every room we enter with some baggage, right? And so, what I try to do is create moments in class to acknowledge that. Um, I use the writing prompts. I use certain writing prompts to tease that out so students uh, learn to normalize their ability to externally process in community. Nice. I think there's something to be said about meaning making in public. And hip hop is a form of public discourse. And I think it's, a mu- it's much easier, well, for my students, I've seen for them, it's much easier to articulate how they're feeling in those 16 lines rather than just have a sit down conversation and bear their soul in front of all of their peers. Right. Um, one thing I try to do to sort of normalize where students are at um, on my discussion boards, we use um, we use uh, Canvas uh, at Wake Forest. And, Same, and on yeah. our discuss- Oh, cool. That's what's up. I didn't know it was a Canvas school or not. I'm not plugging, uh, you know, <laughs> one over the other. But we on the same page, so cool. Yeah. Um, but on our discussion boards, um, I have students submit their verses, um, you know, in public, right? And then I have them, you have to, you don't get credit for the assignment until you comment on two of your classmates' verses. Like, you have to show some words of affirmation, show love, get feedback. I like to call it audible feedback, right? That the snaps you might get in, in the audience or the gas or the, oh, like that's what creates the hip hop element um, that that giving and receiving. Like if I'm going to spit these bars, I'm going to expect something back from you. And yeah. that's what I try to create. And to sort of lean into the next part of your question about how this has impacted, you know, my teaching, right? Like I've only been an adjunct professor online. Like I've never taught this class in person. And for someone who gets his energy from people <laughs> being in space and community with others. I was worried that I wouldn't be able to curate a hip hop, hip hop ish environment on zoom. And um, that hasn't been the case. I'm actually more nervous about going back into the classroom next year because I've noticed in my personal interactions with people when I'm at the grocery store or the gas station and I'm masked up and everything, like I still haven't, I still don't feel like me in public just yet. Wow. There's enough I haven't had enough conversations about that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not eager to like dap people up, give hugs. Cause that that's, that's who I am, man. I, I, I love, I love people and I love being in, in space with folks, but I definitely can feel myself um, retreating from who I used to be the pre pandemic. Wow. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with that right now. I know you didn't expect this to turn into a, a, a therapy session, but but yeah, that's where I'm at right now. No, I appreciate your candor. I mean, and you're certainly not alone. And, you know, I mean, I feel it. We all feel it. So to hear to hear you express it is is very comforting. So thank you for your candor on that. And sure. um, what do you hope that we take from this going forward? Do you have any hopes and dreams for the future 
uh, in the context of the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I hope we continue to find ways to make higher ed more accessible via online mechanisms, right? Like, obviously, there's some tough things to replicate in a virtual classroom. But, you know, we talk about, you know, we talk about accessibility, we talk about leveraging resources for, um, uh, well, I talk a lot about in my own work about how to make uh, colleges more responsible to the, to the, the, um, to the service of the communities in which they're situated and for our working class populations who might want to continue their education in some way or acquire a new skill like how can we create learning moments for um, the people in our cities towns communities um, at our university to give them a university experience to credential them in some way i talk about um the american meritocracy and how that sort of undermines the american dream i actually opened with that um, um, in my talk this afternoon. And although credentialing and uh, this excessive like need to, to, to get a degree in order to give yourself a leg up um, in society is very real, that's not changing anytime soon. And though that might be the case, like how can we as an institution provide moments for the, the community around us to, um, to sort of have access to those credentials, have access to that economic opportunity that a higher education affords. So I hope that we can bottle some of this online energy up and still provide a valuable, rigorous, um, but uh, liberating online experience for people in our communities that aren't necessarily students, but deserve our attention. Right. Well, thank you for that. Um, yeah. That leads me to my next question about other changes. And you uh, talked about uh, parenting a bit just uh, in a moment or two in our discussion today. And I, I just kind of wanted to circle back to that. And, and I know that this has been a very profound change in your life. And, um, and, and then you mentioned, you know, raising a daughter in the South right now. And I wondered, you know, what, what kinds of things are you and your wife thinking about talking about, um, uh, dreaming about in terms of uh, how you would like to shape this experience for your daughter, or shape the life for your daughter? Wow, uh, yeah, I might, I might need to stretch out on the couch for this one. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I think uh, one of the things Lauren and I wrestle with, and, and let me just say, Lauren's the real uh, star in the family. She's an MD PhD. She's wrapping up. She finished her PhD in February when she was nine months pregnant and is wow. in the last year of medical school. So she is just like, she's the, the star. I'm just uh, looking with the telescope to make sure she's good, man. But um, Oh, I that's so us, beautiful. <laughs> I think for us, thank you. I think for us, one of the things that we you know hope for for our daughter is to you know, she's only known people with masks, right? She was born, I'm gonna put it in context for you, all right? So COVID is happening, um, you know, sports get canceled, um, you know, Trump still isn't saying it's airborne yet. It's very, very, you don't know who Fauci, like, I don't know who Anthony Fauci is yet. Like, it's very early, right? Lauren, you know, goes into labor, we're in the hospital. Um, the hospital has a rule now because COVID is a thing, kind of, um, that you can only have, you know, one person in the delivery room with you. So we tell our parents that, what have you, what have you. When we left the house, our parents were here, no mask, just chilling, you know what I'm saying, on the couch watching TV, not six feet apart, all hugged up. We go into the hospital. We're there for a couple of days, you know, after Lauren gives birth. We come home on the weekends, like two, three days later, 
nobody's in the hospital. Everybody has on a mask. There's hand sanitized stations like every two couple of steps. You know what I'm saying? Like, wow. man, something different. You see toadies <laughs> rolling around, you know what I'm saying? The hospital parking lot. It was just, it felt like a different world. And that's all Joy knows. And because of that, um, we're trying to figure out how to fuse what we remember about the real world before yeah. the pandemic with um, what we can potentially expect for her in the future. We don't even know when we're sending her to daycare yet. As long as I can work from home, you know, I'm still trying to to be, be dad and professor all at the same time, right? And like, we're just trying to find balance. So we're remixing things in the moment. But yeah. to your, I guess, larger question, I think we just want her to, to be happy. Um, and we want her to have friends. <laughs> we want her to feel accepted. We want her to be, um, want her to be herself. Like, you know, she'll play with her little baby piano. She'll dance a little bit. She'll bob her head when I'm practicing a new poem. Like she's, she's starting to become a person with interests and that excites us, um, to be able to see those little milestones and those lights go off, um, at certain points just throughout the day. Um, That's fantastic. Yeah. That's, that's a blessing, uh, that we've gotten in this moment, um, amid so much suffering, but you know, as, as time changes, ask me that question again next year. It'll be something different. Right, sure. right. Well, it's a beautiful way to capture this moment in time, you know, so thank you oh. for that. Um, yeah, yeah. Amazingly, we're almost out of time. I don't think we're even going to get to the last two songs, but I do have a couple more sort of um, fun general questions for you. And the first <laughs> is, what books do you love um, and and that you, if you had your way, like the top three books that everybody should read, what are those? Top three that everybody should read. Man, that's a, whew, man, I wasn't, man, I low-key wasn't ready for that one. Uh, to sorry. Be a, uh, <laughs> or it could be whatever <laughs> comes to mind. It doesn't have to be, I mean, you know, earth shattering or anything. <laughs> I got you. I got you, Leah. Don't worry. We homies, man. So, um, top three. Um, I'm a hip hop head. Um, I think you read any hip hop text. Black Noah. So my dog Fife ate the ate this part of the cover. So when I say my dog ate my homework, I'm not lying. But it wasn't homework, but it's called Black Noise by Trisha, Trisha Rose. Okay. Um, a foundational hip hop scholar that's really important to read. I think Black Noise provides an excellent perspective, not just on hip hop, but the culture as a movement more broadly. This is from 94, um, but wow, still cool. incredibly relevant. Um, yeah. And I think her work is, is particularly timely. One thing that I am um, excited about reading that I haven't cracked open just yet, it's called um, Hood Feminism. Um, again, it approaches it approaches um, feminism uh, from a, from a um, uh, African-American uh, woman's perspective, uh, definitely some hip hop, language undertones there. Uh, I have not started reading that, but as soon as I get a free moment in the these weeks to come when the semester wraps up, that is going to be the first thing um, I crack open for sure. And I always like to have practical things in my repertoire. Um, and I know I might be talking to a lot of educators out there. Um, this text right here, Open Mic Night, is it really changed my life. It focus, focuses on the role of um, sort of spoken word poetry in educational settings, more specifically colleges and universities. But there's something in here that I think um, K-12 educators can take away too. It's called Open Mic Night, Campus Programs that Champion College Student Voice and Engagement. Um, again, another dope hip hop text, um, Black Noise, Hood Feminism. I think that's sort of like how I'm piecing together uh, where I'm at in this current moment. And it's informing what I want to do 
um, when I'm able to be in person with people again. I love it. Thank you. I can't wait yeah. to pick I, I, one of those. I know the other two, I can't wait to pick up. So okay, my up. last question for you is just a playful question. And it's just what's turning you on this week. And it can be anything. It's a way for people to have an, you know, another insight in it could be a favorite TV show or a movie or a book or a song or a favorite food or whatever it does. It, it could be anything. But yeah. I will ask you, Donovan Livingston, what is turning you on this week yo uh, that that is a, a hard question to a- answer because there's a few things that really light my fire one is it's starting to get warm out here in north carolina i know you can't see out here today we had a little rain but it is getting warm and i am so so ready to fire up my grill bruh that is my love language i'll be out there with the kiss to cook you know daddy to cook you know apron on with the i'll, I'll just be out there spatuling it up bruh like that's what i love I it well, anytime you're in North Carolina, I got you on a ribeye. I don't know if if you're vegan, I could do a plant-based situation. But either way. Well, like, and when you come to Utah, I'll smoke some salmon for you. Let's go, bro. Let's go. I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going to hold you to that. But that's one thing that's really got me uh, got me excited um, this week. Is like I hope to hop on the grill, if not this weekend, sometime in the very, very, very near future. Um, another thing that's got me excited is, you know, working from home and, you know, have enjoy here all day it's like i've really gotten into kids show theme songs and the soundtrack to the show called rasta mouse is my new favorite thing basically real quick quick synopsis it's a show about jamaican mice who solve crime and they don't just solve crime they have a restorative justice framework for solving crime so when they catch the criminal they don't just lock lock the criminal up. They rehabilitate the criminal and reinsert them in society. It's dope. And the soundtrack is fire, bro. It's reggae. You know what I'm saying? So if you look in the dance, Rasta Mouse is a great, great, great way to go. Um, but those are the two things that really got me going right now. Kids show theme songs and the prospect of hopping on that grill. That is Fantastic. Thank you so much for that. Well, Donovan, this has been such a pleasure. I I, thank you. It's been such a fun conversation. And I've just loved every minute of it. Um, And with that, I will just say thank you to you. And we're going to sign off. So thank you so much, Donovan. Peace and love, family. Let's do it again. Awesome, everyone. All right. Well, we'll see you then next time. Thanks so much for listening to the Apex Hour here on KSUU Thunder 91.1. Come find us again next Thursday at 3 p.m. for more conversations with the visiting guests at Southern Utah University and new music to discover for your next playlist. And in the meantime, we would love to see you at our events on campus. To find out more, check out suu.edu apex. Until next week, this is Lynn Vartan saying goodbye from the Apex Hour here on Thunder 91.1.